Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is going to be kind of a different show, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we talk about politics, policy, pop culture here. We're going to do a little bit of politics, a teeny bit of news, and then we're going to talk about pain, real pain, not imaginary pain, but real pain that can change someone's life, can make them uncertain about not just their future, but the next day or the actual day they're living. So get ready for that. Our guest is Adam Smith. He is the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee, elected to Congress 1996, long-serving member of the House, significant member of the House Democratic Caucus. Adam, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. We're in his office, Rayburn House Office Building 2264. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So we're going to get to the pain part because Adam has written a book called Lost and Broken. I promise you we'll get to that, but there's some news items I want to run by you first. As you well know, the Speaker of the House yesterday announced the intention of House Republican Majority to launch an impeachment inquiry of President Biden. Your reaction? I think it's just a ridiculous step. And the thing is, we can go ahead and quote Kevin McCarthy to know how ridiculous a step it is. I mean, two weeks ago, he said impeachment is an incredibly important step, one not to be taken lightly, one he said the Republican conference would not take lightly, that they would require a vote on the House floor. A vote to authorize. Correct. Sorry. And yeah, stepwise, this is not impeachment per se. This is just we believe there is enough evidence to go forward with a formal inquiry. And so the appropriate committees do that inquiry. And typically that is done with a full House vote. 
But Speaker McCarthy has a problem. He doesn't have the votes for the impeachment inquiry for the very good reason that there's really no evidence that President Biden is worthy of impeachment. But faced with that, Kevin McCarthy did exactly what he said he wouldn't do two weeks ago. One person decided to launch an inquiry. You know, meanwhile, we have all kinds of problems facing this country. Um, we have, you know, health care, the economy, inflation. We need to pass appropriations bills. Keep the government open. Yes. We'll get to so, that in a second. Yes. And my reaction is this is just another example of just how extreme and partisan this Republican majority is. Do you think there has been any evidence produced at all that suggests corruption linking Hunter Biden and the president of the United States? No, I mean, they've had a couple of people who have said they believe that it happened, and then they've investigated at incredible length, and they've found no evidence whatsoever to back to tie that the up. two together. Right, I mean, look, money doesn't just disappear in the modern world. If Joe Biden, as vice president or at any point in his career, had been given the amount of money that they're claiming he had been given— Five million, twenty million, right, the figure they, tends to— it, it didn't just disappear. It would be somewhere. They haven't found it because it didn't happen. Um, they so, say it's shell companies. Hard to find. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, apparently. Um, so, you yeah. You don't buy that. No, I don't. They're, 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 I mean, look, there's an incredibly complicated relationship between Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. But after, a difficult one. Let's be ab- candid. Absolutely. But, but after a very thorough investigation, it's 100% clear that no part of that relationship has led to any money winding up in Joe Biden's pocket. That is absolutely obvious at this point. So, so this impeachment inquiry is simply Kevin McCarthy once again trying to appease the extreme right-wing MAGA Republicans in his caucus. Do you think there will be a government shutdown later this fall? Um, yes, I do. Um, I could well be wrong about that. <laughs> but going back to that you know, issue of the extreme right-wing of the Republican Party, they are insisting on a lot of things in order to vote to keep the government open. And look, we have the votes on the House floor. There are enough Republicans and enough Democrats to pass a continuing resolution and to get past that process. But again, Kevin McCarthy won't bring that up unless the Freedom Caucus says yes. So he's letting that small group A very, very conservative MAGA-influenced House Republicans. Right. And then if we can get— Who talk openly now about vacating the chair, ousting him as Speaker if they don't get their way. Yeah, in fact, Congressman Gates yesterday, as you know, took to the House floor and said, I love the way you put it. Uh, I'll say this for Matt. He's, he's, he's smart and intelligent and, and very clever in the way he speaks. He said, you know, Kevin McCarthy is out of compliance with the agreement he made to be speaker. And therefore, I guess Matt is making himself Kevin's boss and saying, you're fired. Yeah. In effect, he said, we'll start every day of the House with a pledge, the prayer and a motion to vacate if I don't get my way. Yes. Yeah. Now, look, and that's one of the central problems here, getting sort of more big picture. I, I worry that, you know, the, the, the right wing of the Republican Party no longer believes in democracy. They believe in getting their way. And no matter what, if they don't get their way, they will destroy whatever they have to destroy to show people that they're not happy about it. We've got, you know, Senator uh, Tuberville, you know, holding up the entire U.S. military because he doesn't like the travel policy. Well, my suggestion for Senator Tuberville Joe Biden's president. He won the election. He's in that position. If you don't like his policy, go to work on getting him out elected next year. Support your candidate. But don't 
impede the ability of the United States military to do its job. Since you st- because you don't like that. Since result. you mentioned that, Adam, let's talk about that. What the central issue, just so my listeners and viewers can be caught up very quickly, is there's a confirmation process for a great number of senior Pentagon leaders. Tuberville has blocked that. Yeah, we're talking universally hundreds, hundreds at this point. Yes, yeah. universally over a travel policy related to abortion access. Correct. Meaning if you're stationed in a state that has banned it, you can, with Pentagon approval, fly to a place to obtain those services. Correct. And Tuberville doesn't like that. No. And, and, and keep in mind that the government's not paying for any reproductive care services. They're not paying for abortions. They're merely allowing a person in the military to travel from one place to another. And look, you can debate that policy. You know, personally, I think having access to reproductive health care is enormously important for women and will impact whether or not we're able to recruit and retain the women and, for that matter, the families we need to serve in the military. But you can have that debate, but you don't have to shut down the United States military because you didn't get your way. And what are the consequences of not having these flag officers confirmed at the Senate level and these other leaders? They don't have the authority that they should in their positions. We're talking chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I think two of the other um, uh, Joint Chiefs from, yeah, I'm going to get this wrong, Army and I think Navy. Um, So they no longer have the full authority of their position. Same is true with combatant commanders and generals and command posts all over the place. They can be acting in that position, but they can't have the authority. And in some cases, you can't move one from one place to another if they're not confirmed because you're vacating another job. And this impacts families as well. They don't know where they're going to be and what job they're going to have. How does this get resolved? You know, that's a, that's a tough question because at the end of the day, you know, well, one big problem here is the Senate. And the idea that one, one senator can hold up absolutely everything. I've always described the Senate as the most undemocratic democratic body, I think, in the world. So looking at reforming those rules so that one senator doesn't have this kind of power would be enormously important. But pressure is building. I mean, Mike Bacall is the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He has called out. Um, Senator Tuberville for undermining the national security of this country. And look, you know, I, I, I know Mike fairly well. He's a pretty solidly conservative Republican. Um, so I think the pressure is building and hopefully he will will relent. I want to carry this conversation over into segment two. What are your thoughts about the summer offensive in Ukraine and the prospects for the next few months in that brutal and bloody conflict. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly difficult situation. And what what we need to get to is we need to get to a peaceful resolution. But what I want people to understand, the only way to get to a peaceful resolution is to convince Putin that he has been stopped. As long as he thinks that his maximalist goals of basically taking over Ukraine are still on the table, he's going to keep fighting, which is why the counteroffensive is so important to blunt the attack from Russia, number one, and to retake territory. And in recent weeks, that has actually been going better than most people realize. The Ukrainians are beginning to retake territory. Where that goes, I'm, I'm not sure. Let me stop you right there, Adam Smith. We're in his office in the Rayburn House office building. We'll continue the conversation on Ukraine and Taiwan and China. Then we will get to the pain. Segment two of The Takeout coming your way in just one second. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. 
all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. See for Smart Energy. Stay focused. Welcome back to The Takeout. A special hello to our good friends at Cairo. Long been members of the Takeout Radio Network. Good to be with you. Thanks for supporting us. Adam Smith is our special guest, ranking Democrat House Armed Services Committee. Anything else you want to say about Ukraine? And there's a request from the president for more yeah. assistance. And that has divided Republicans. Your thoughts? That's where I was headed. I mean, yeah. we, we need to pass that supplemental appropriations bill to continue to support Ukraine at this point. Um, the counteroffensive is ongoing. And again, I'll make the argument, if Ukraine is able to retake territory, that puts us in the best position to get to peace. If we pull the rug out from under them right now, Putin will keep fighting. He will push back on the counteroffensive and continue his quest of getting all the way to Kiev. It will lengthen the war if we don't support the appropriations bills to help Ukraine uh, continue to fight. And by the way, a chunk of that money goes to humanitarian assistance. It isn't even just military. The humanitarian catastrophe in Ukraine um, has been enormous. Your thoughts on China, Taiwan, the president's trip there to G20 on his way back. He said he doesn't want to contain China. He just wants to make sure the world understands and China understands where things stand. Yeah, I think a crucial trip, incredibly successful, because the most important thing we can do is build partnerships and alliances in the region. Uh, this isn't just about the U.S. and China. This is about certainly uh, the Asian region, but also um, the globe and China's role in it. We need to build partnerships to deal with the threat that China poses. And look, the world is big enough for the U.S. and China. We can peacefully coexist. We can compete economically. But China's goals right now are to upend the international order, to break through the rules-based system, particularly on sovereignty. They claim territory in over a half dozen different other countries, and they are aggressively pursuing those claims against Vietnam and the Philippines and Japan. It's not just Taiwan. They claim territory in India. Heck, they claim territory in Russia, which mm -hmm. is an interesting little conversation, and they don't seem inclined to pay attention to international rules. So, and would, they dredge up things in the ocean and create territory. Exactly. And, and they viol they're violating fishing rights all over the world. I mean, even in South America, they're overfishing in areas um, that, that belong to other countries, um, and they're violating all kinds of rules. So I disagree with President Biden on one thing. We are 
on a certain point. We're trying to contain that, all right? We're not kind of trying to contain China's ability to grow and compete, um, to grow their economy, to, to win contracts, to be engaged. But we are trying to contain their ability to grab territory and violate rules. And where possible, push it back, right? Correct. I yes. mean, that is a fact. Yes. Even though he doesn't want to put it in that many words. Yeah. Thoughts about any linkage in the big picture, Ukraine and Taiwan? Well, I think the linkage is Russia and China. Well, there's two big linkages. Number one, if Russia is able to simply grab territory because they want it, it makes it a lot easier for China to do that as well or to continue to do that as they've tried to do elsewhere in the world. It sort of breaks that, that international norm. Second, China and Russia and also Iran and North Korea have a central goal of sort of breaking the international world order. Um, because they believe it's not theirs. It's not in their bed. They want to play by their own set of rules, not by a set of rules that was set up post-World War II. And if Russia can smash sovereignty in Ukraine, that's a big step towards meeting the goals, not just of Russia, China, Iran, North Korea as well, of introducing a new measure of chaos into the globe. How destabilizing, if at all, is this meeting between Kim Jong-un and Putin? It's, it's potentially very destabilizing, and it makes the point that it's all part of an alliance. Let me just say, by the way, I do not say all of that to say that the, the, the rules-based international order that has been set up post-World War II, primarily by the United States, has been perfect. No, we need to do a better job of having conversations with other countries throughout the world, the, the non-aligned countries, India, Brazil, South Africa, and others, about what's wrong with the international system. What can we do differently to make sure that it's more fair, that it gives some of the developing countries a better, a better shot? Um, we can have that conversation, but that's not what China and Russia want to do. They want to introduce basically rule by might autocracy, not an international order. And that's what we must stand up against. So ladies and gentlemen, those of you who've watched this entire conversation reasonably would tell yourself, what are you talking about, Major? This pain thing, what are you talking about? Adam Smith is clearly together, articulate, smart, knows all this stuff, looks perfectly relaxed, comfortable. You tell them what it's about. Yeah, no, I went through a significant battle um, with debilitating anxiety and chronic pain, and I, and I wrote a book about it. And the easiest way to think about it is I start the book in 2016, uh, which was after my third hip surgery. Um, I have two artificial hips now. I had one other hip surgery that didn't, well, none of them worked that well. Um, and so by 2016, a couple months after that third hip surgery, I was in massive amounts of pain. I was on a whole bunch of different drugs. The anxiety was worse than ever. I was on anti-anxiety meds as well as anti-pain meds. And I just wasn't getting any better. And so the story I tell is how did I get to that point? And then crucially, how did I get out of it? You open the book with a very dramatic reference to wondering if you could get out of bed. Yeah. Every day in that point, I was... You know, I, I woke up in utter fear. Um, and number one, I knew I had to get out of bed because if I didn't, you know, I was going to waste away lying there. But I was in pain. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I could do. You know, I, I have a schedule, but it's like, can I do this? Can I not do that? Um, and then the decisions, you know, what treatment do I pursue? Do I stick with the psychiatrist I'm seeing right now? Um, do I stick with this physical therapy plan, that physical therapy plan? How much medication do I take? Knowing 
or feeling. I had to get off of it at some point. So all of that, all of those decisions went into every single day. And it, it started, well, it, in 2013 is when my anxiety hit. 2014 is when the pain hit. And it took me six years to get out of it. Now, before 2013, I had had bouts of anxiety and a bout of depression. And I'd been in pain in one way or another since I had a knee surgery when I was 16 years old. But that was all manageable, basically except for a couple of points. But by 2013, it wasn't manageable, and I didn't know how to get out of it. In your own words, define the anxiety you suffered. Absolutely. It, it, it's funny. It, it hit me suddenly. Like In 2005, I had the bout of anxiety, which I got over in like five or six months, never really understanding it. And then it came back in 2013. But what happens is constant existential fear. Okay. With no specific reason. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I just went and saw the doctor and he, and he, and he saw something on a scan or I'm losing my job or one of my children is sick. It was just, I just felt this sense of existential fear, which meant that I couldn't sleep constantly heart going a million miles an hour, you know, not in my stomach. I had trouble eating, forcing myself to eat. And I couldn't clearly identify what was I, what was I afraid of? This is sort of and that's what I try to explain. There's a difference between the normal stresses and strains and ups and downs of life, which, by the way, are mental health problems as well, that we all need to think about how better to manage, and what is sort of clinical anxiety or clinical depression, where it hits you in a way that you just you have no control over it whatsoever, and it won't go away. Day after day after day, I felt that way. You felt this surging in your heart rate you felt tingling you felt a sense of not in my dread stomach. yeah yeah I, but I, non-specific dread you couldn't exactly. label it you couldn't right. point to something the the analogy i drew is it was sort of like every day i was you know a homicidal maniac was running at me with a machete <laughs> that's sort of how i felt constantly um although i could not identify the specific homicidal maniac in this case so right. And I did get treatment, and, th- and that's the point. And there is a logical explanation for why I felt that way, but it took me a very long time and a whole series of therapists to get to those answers. And for someone hearing your voice and wondering what's been going on with them, what's the most important thing you would tell them? Um, well, if talking about an individual is, you know, understand that you need to work on your mental health, Okay. Uh, one of my big problems early on when this happened is I never thought it possible that I would have a mental health problem. I thought of mental health as a very simple thing. There's this line, okay? On one side of it, you're normal. On the other side of it, you're crazy. I was normal, so therefore I didn't have to worry about crazy. Therefore, you couldn't be crazy. Exactly. That's so, the voice of Adam Smith. Yeah. I, have to, I hate to break into no, it right sure. now because we're on a roll, but we're going to get back to that. Segment three of the takeout in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. 
And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to The Takeout. Adam Smith is our special guest. That line between normal and crazy. Yeah. No, I think... Is it a real thing? No. Uh, But it's something we all, or many of us, imagine in our minds. And it's getting better. The stigma against mental health is coming down a little bit. More people are talking about it. But growing up... You know, when you have something physical wrong with you, you know, if you if you get a cold, you're like, okay, do I need to treat it? You think about it. You know, I had knee problems, you know, as I mentioned earlier when I was a kid. So you'd go to a therapist. But if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling stressed, well, that's just life. Okay, you just try to figure out how to get through it. And I think what the most important thing is to think of your mental health in the same way you think of your physical health as something that you need to work on. You need prevention. You need to treat it when it comes up. And then, and this is not a short answer, so I'll try to give it quickly, the baselines of mental health. When I first started going through this, every therapist I went to wanted to put me through cognitive behavioral therapy, which is fine, okay? Cognitive behavioral therapy basically is to think about what you're anxious about, all right? You know, okay, you're anxious, why? All right, let's name it as the, as the nomenclature goes. Write down what you're anxious about. So that's number one is to really think through what you're anxious about. And then number two is, you know, what can you do about that? And there are two basic things you can do about it. Number one, don't catastrophize. And if you hear anyone use the word catastrophize, you know that they've been in therapy um, or they've talked about it at any rate, which is you exaggerate things. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've got a headache. Oh, my gosh, I've got a brain tumor. You know, or, you know, my boss looked at me funny. My career's over. All right. You know, and there's a tendency to do that. So you can talk. Imagine the worst. Right. Exactly. Project the worst. Exactly. So let's talk through how you can better process it. And then the second thing you can do is if there's something you're anxious about, are there things you can do in your life to reduce it? Let's say that, you know, you're stressed out at work. Okay. Well, why? Can you talk to your boss maybe about your workload? Can you talk to a coworker? Do you want a different career? So let's, let's walk through strategies. And that's all very well and good. But there are two baselines of mental health. And if those baselines aren't there, cognitive behavioral therapy is just going to irritate the hell out of you. Okay? Because when they would ask me, well, what are you anxious about? I don't know. That's the point. Okay? And once you get to the point where cognitive behavioral therapy is, well, what you really need to do is you need to be less anxious about it. Really? Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for that. It never occurred to me. So the two baselines are number one, and this is what I did not understand. You have to have a sense of your own self-worth and you might not. Okay. That sounds obvious, but in my case, I really didn't believe that I was inherently worthy. 
worthy of love, to be sort of Buddhist and cliche about it. Um, I was anxious and, and, and worried about it because I didn't get that basic stability as a child. I was adopted and there's a long version of the story. So for me, every day was a test. Am I worthy? I've got to succeed. I got to prove it. You know, because when my therapist asked me, you know, he told me basically that I didn't have a sense of self-worth and I argued with him and he said, well, what, why do you think you have a sense of self-worth? And I made the argument, I'm good at my job. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband, everything. Right. And he said, so that's, that's where you think you get your self-worth from? And I was like, well, duh, of course. Right. It's not. It's inherent. You have to believe that whether you screw up or not, you are worthy, which is not to say that what you do in life isn't important, but it shouldn't get to your core sense of self-worth. That's number one. Number two is, are there traumas, and I'll explain that in a moment, in your life that you haven't properly dealt with? And this is a huge thing right now on PTSD, for instance. Um, If you have had some trauma in your life at any point in your life that you haven't properly processed, you are suppressing it. And that's what's causing your anxiety. But your mind is saying, we're not going there. Right. We're not letting you think about it. Right. So you have to go through therapy to bring it up, deal with it, and let your mind sort of rewire. If you don't have those two, if you got two of those things going on, cognitive behavioral therapy is just going to send you around in a circle. Right. And that's what it took me a long time to understand. And for several people who have gone through therapy, myself included, when you talk about things that are traumatic in your life and you are afraid to go back to them, the bad thing has already happened. Yeah. And that's the thing you have to cross over. The bad thing has already happened. What you're trying to do is work through it, absorb it, come to terms with it, and move on. Yeah. But the bad thing's already happened. And I think reaching other, back to it is not going to make it any worse. It's already bad. Right. It's going to scare you yes. in the short term, but it's going to make things better. And I think the other thing about trauma that really is worth noting, a lot of the focus on, on trauma is bad things that have been done to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. A situation where, you know, obviously abuse or if you grew up in an right. unstable home uh, with addicted parents or a foster home or something. But, but it can be smaller than that. Or it can be things that you did that were wrong, that you feel guilty about. Exactly. And haven't touched on. And that was a big part of it for me. I had a you know really a problematic upbringing with my family. I'm going to get into the details here. Um, just have to say, like I said, I was adopted. My mother had a little bit of a depression problem. My father had a little bit of an anxiety problem. You know, there, there was, I had a sibling who went off the rails, you know, and caused all kinds of disruption in the family. There was a high level of uncertainty. But for me, it was part of me was angry, particularly when I found out I was adopted. You know, it's like my biological parents put me into this situation. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm like, you know, and I, I would spend a lot of time thinking about what my life could have been if I hadn't had those problems. But the other huge part of it, which I really didn't deal with, was I felt guilty about it. Because I hadn't done much to really help out in my view. Now, you know, I'm 12, 13, 15 years old, but still, you know, particularly given how I viewed myself, Mm -hmm. you know, as a member of Congress, my whole life, not my whole life, but since I became an adult anyway, I have sought out positions of responsibility. Mm -hmm. I have thought of myself as a person who solves problems, who helps other people, who gets things done. Okay. And is held accountable in a political sphere for whether you do that or not. Exactly. And yet, in my childhood, I didn't do anything. Okay. And there was guilt. Yeah. And so I had to deal with that. Back to that time when you wondered if you could get out of bed, how much of that was about pain and how much of that was about anxiety? 
Um, it was primarily good. Anxiety was the most important part okay. because the fear was what was driving it. Mm-hmm. What really, I think, threw me more than anything, I've had problems and challenges in my life, but I think through them. You know, I'm an incredibly logical person. I have a process. I do to-do lists all day long. I have a stack of notepaper, notebooks over here with all that stuff. And the fear and the anxiety paralyzed me. I couldn't think clearly. You know, I, I, I had no plan. I was lurching from idea to idea without being able to organize it. So the anxiety really made it impossible to deal with any, impossible, made it very difficult mm-hmm. to deal with any of it. So I would say that was the primary problem. How dark did it get for you? <laughs> well, the, the best way I can describe it is, and this is a point that my um, therapist and I went over when I tried to argue that I, I had a sense of self-worth. I woke up every single morning, and the first thing I said was, I hate myself. That's the way I felt because um, I, I was not where I wanted to be. I wasn't doing what I needed to do, and I had this constant sense of just self-loathing that, you know, how could I have screwed this up? Did you ever think about ending your own life? No, I'm afraid of death. So okay. that's an illogical approach right. there. <laughs> doesn't work. Doesn't connect. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So no, I, I did not get to that point. What effect did this have on your wife and two children? It's extraordinarily difficult. Um, in I think my children in particular, you know, it was it was stressful for them. It was stressful for all of them. Now, we are a very strong unit, and we have come through it. Um, you know, I've been married for 30 years now. Children are 23 and 20, and we're very close and connected, and I've talked openly with them about all of this. Um, I'm still trying to get my kids to read my book. <laughs> young, I know what that feels like, Young by the people way. don't read books. It's not even personal. It's just, they, it's just they don't read books anymore. So maybe if I did a TikTok video, yeah, perhaps, perhaps I'd be in perhaps, better shape. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was really difficult. And that's one other thing that I would say to anyone going through this is understand if one individual is going through this, their whole immediate world is going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, it's more difficult on the family members because they don't know what's going on. You know, they, they don't know what you're feeling, what you're thinking, how, how you're doing. So it's, it's really hard. It's hard to articulate it to yourself. It's hard to articulate it to your therapist. It's hard to articulate it to your family. Yes. So, I mean, I was incredibly blessed. I have a very supportive family and also a lot of, you know, very supportive friends and others. So that's voice of Adam Smith. His book is lost and broken. There's a significant part of the book that deals with navigation, how to try to find your way through that. We're going to talk about that next. Stay tuned for the takeout segment. Four. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. 
Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. My posture properly adjusted. Thank you, Arden Fari. Adam Smith is our special guest. Um, Lost and Broken is the book. We've talked at some length about pain, anxiety. Let's go through the navigation process. You prescribed lots of medicines. How helpful were they? Yeah, ultimately, they weren't very helpful at we're all. Not. Yeah. So, but I think the navigation process starts with, I had problems both physically and mentally that I had no idea how to deal with. So I dove into the healthcare system to try and find people who did and know how to deal with them. You're someone, let's be candid, whose phone calls can and will be returned. Absolutely. You are advantaged in that space. Yes. Anyone in Seattle or anywhere across the country, for that matter, who gets a call from Adam Smith is going to return that call. Yeah. Even with that advantage, it was a maze. Yeah. No, and I document this in the book, mm-hmm, but I literally saw over 100 different providers. Most of that was on the physical side because I was cycling through physical therapists and massage therapists and chiropractors and personal trainers desperately trying to figure out how, how my body worked. But I also saw about a dozen different psychologists or psychiatrists. And it is very difficult. Um, number one, you know, I had to worry about, because while I can see people, I don't have a lot of money. So if it wasn't covered by insurance, I had to think about, you know, can I see that person? How often can I see that person? And your average person is going to have a you know much bigger problem. If you don't have insurance, if you can't find the providers. But once you find them, it's really important to understand the degree to which you have to take responsibility for your own healthcare solutions. I was just freaked out. And what I wanted is I wanted that person to tell me, all right, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what you need to do. Do it. You'll be fine. All right. It is a more interactive process than that. Um, You're going to have to communicate and you're going to have to try and find a provider that you can communicate with, which is not easy. No. And (laughs) I think as anyone who's been through this process also knows you need an advocate because sometimes if you're wounded, you can't be the aggressive advocate. You talk about your wife being someone who was particularly well oriented toward that sort of fastidious work. And chased everything down and made the 10th phone call and asked the 15th question. If you don't have that advocate, you're in a, not a world of hurt, but it's a more difficult it's scenario. It's much, much harder. As far as the medication is concerned, that factors into this because the medication is, as they say in the army, it's the easy button. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, whether you're talking about pain or mental illness, all right, we could talk about this for a while and try to figure it out, but that's going to take time here. Take this pill. Okay. And I want to be clear on something. I understand that medication is probably important for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That said... There were times you write about in the book where it did provide immediate relief that you could notice. Yes, absolutely. But it wasn't sustainable. Exactly. Um, But I stand by the statement that we way over-prescribe pain medication and antidepressants, anti-anxiety. Because it's easy. It's easy, And it's paid for. Yeah, and it's paid for, yes. But the other part of it is, you know, certainly drug companies push this stuff aggressively and not always in a responsible way, in my view. Um, Doctors do it because, again, it's easy. But patients also, we want the easy answer, okay? Ultimately, what got me better was three and a half years worth of psychotherapy and a lot of deep thinking that wasn't easy. And on the physical side... I found a muscle activation therapist who actually understood how your muscles work, but it took me a year 
and I still work out a lot. Um, to it was hard. All right, um, and you know a lot of people don't want to do hard work. So the drug again is the easy approach. But particularly, and there's a lot of talk about the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. and I think people have understood that. But benzodiazepines are a huge problem. That's anti-anxiety medication. Okay. That's Xanax. Um, in my case, clono clonazepam <laughs> we were talking earlier i used to pronounce it clonazepam until i did the audio version of my book um and they explained to me that it was pronounced differently but anyway the thing about benzos that is really problematic is just like the pain medication that's not a fire alarm ladies right. and gentlemen by the way that's just the, the house, house coming itself. into session exactly or getting ready to come into session exactly. actually um but what it does is it does make you relax that first time in 2005, the first time that anxiety hit me and I didn't know what to do about it, I was prescribed um, that in like the first few days before I saw my psychiatrist. And you take one of those pills the first time, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'd gone like a week at that point of constant anxiety. I took Unable the, to sleep, eat, right, function. Right. I took a pill. 45 minutes later, it was like nothing ever happened. I was back to complete normalcy. But it, you build up tolerance, first of all. And second of all, it only masks what's really causing the anxiety, which is those underlying issues that I talked about earlier. And then the other thing is once you get on this stuff, getting off of it is not fun. I got off of benzos I don't know, five or six times and then various opioids probably at least that often. Um, it's not easy. What happens? Well, on the uh, benzos, you're just bleh, you're just really anxious. Okay, there's no there's no other sort of real side effect there. It's just that the anxiety gets cranked up to a higher level. On opioids, there's a little bit of that, and then also you have you know typically diarrhea, um, and you know the pain will spike, the anxiety will spike. Um, it's difficult, and I was never. I mean, I wasn't taking as much as a lot of people I read about. I forget the, the milligrams now that it's been a while. But, um, but it's a challenge. So I think we need to be real careful about passing out um, uh, antidepressants and anxiety medication. I also tried um, Celexa, which is mm-hmm. like a Prozac sort of thing. That didn't do anything for me except really freak me out. Um, so, so these are very delicate knobs, and we should be careful yeah. about how we turn them up. Because it's hard to well, turn see, them down. That's actually a good way of putting it. When I finally decided that I was completely done with antidepressants, SSRIs, as I was cycling through the Selexa, well, maybe if you up the dose. And, I'm, um, and so I said, well, how does this stuff even work? And they said, well, you've got the serotonin levels in your brain. And if you're depressed or anxious, um, the serotonin levels are off. And what this medication does is it resets those. And I said, well, how can it be both an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety medication? So, well, it can be initially activating and it takes a while to even out. And the guy described it to me. Well, think of it this way. It's kind of like, you know, you're trying to fill up the, the tank in your car by running back and forth past the gas tank and throwing a bucket of gasoline at it. Yeah. And I'm like, and we'd want to do that with my brain because... I mean, I'm not taking a shot in the dark. Like, you know, we put some in. Maybe it goes up a little high. Maybe it goes up a little low. And then eventually it evens out. Yeah. Um, again, let me just, sorry, this is my caveat. There are many people that I've spoken to yes. who have taken antidepressants that said it's worked brilliantly and it's been great for them. And that's fine. But it's, it's not the panacea that, that you, you might think it would be. Right. How are you now? 
in 30 seconds? I'm outstanding. Um, it's so, a long story, but I understand my brain. I understand my body. I got people who help me get there. And I'm as healthy, both mentally and physically, as I've probably been since I was 12 years old. How's that feel? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> as I said, it's like in my book, it's like banging your head against the wall. It feels so good when you stop. It also gives me perspective. Perspective and stopping. Those things matter. Uh, Adam Smith has been our special guest. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Welcome to your takeout outtake, Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We are in Rayburn House Office Building 2264. That's because we are talking to its occupant, Adam Smith, Democrat from Washington, 9th District, ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. So this is the fun and games part of the program. Okay. And I want to give you lots of time to answer our three threshold questions because our audience loves the answers. So take these in whichever order you prefer. Most influential book in your life and Why? All-time favorite movie. And if you're flying back to your home district, I mean, that's a five-hour flight at least, and you're really going to enjoy some music, I mean, really enjoy it, what kind of music, artist, or genre is that most likely to be? Uh, the first one's the easiest question to answer. My favorite book is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, mm-hmm. um, which I've now read three times. I read it uh, when I was 19 years old in college, right after my father had passed away. Um, had a profound impact on me. And then Why? a couple other times, it just sort of explained the world in a way that made sense to me. And getting into what Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance does is sort of hard, but it, it basically answers the question as to whether or not there is any objective truth in the world and what subjectivity has to do with that and introduces the concept of quality, um, that there is something in between subjectivity and objectivity that just is. Um, and it walks through a whole explanation for how, how to live. It's just a, a, a fascinating book. Um, the second question, my all-time favorite movie is, ugh, it's difficult because it, it's I, hard. Yeah. Well, I have recency bias. Of course. Most of us do. Because at the moment, my all-time favorite movie is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I just thought it was brilliantly, brilliantly laid out, very funny and, and very clever. If I was going for something that had you know profound impact on my life... Gosh, that would be a tougher question. Um, I don't have one, so I'll stick with Once Upon so a Time. So let me. Okay, we'll take that as an so, answer. But is there a movie that if you are scrolling, you will always stop, no matter where it is in the movie, third halfway oh, through? Absolutely. In fact, I, I'm as I, my wife and I are opposites in this regard. I'm easily intrigued. 
Okay. If I see something, even if it's like a bad movie, it's like, I want to see where it's going. Right. Okay. Um, But um, Wedding Crashers, Mm -hmm. old school. And actually, one of my favorite movies that isn't as well known is um, Gross Point Blank. Oh, yes. I know that movie. (laughs) It's a great one. Just very clever. But I also on the more serious side, uh, you know, I've watched Patton several Mm -hmm. times. Um, and there's a lot of lines in there that I that I use frequently. So yes, there are a lot of movies. Excellent. That, that will music. That music. I'm really more eclectic, um, and I don't I don't listen to music that much, um, mainly because you know I'm busy, and when I'm not busy, like if I'm exercising, when I walk or work out, I don't listen to anything. I think so. It's sort of my time to sort of play it out. But you know, as far as you know, I'm. I'm kind of an old time rock and roll guy. Mm-hmm. That's what I, you know, Rolling Stones, Beatles, you know, kinks back in the day. Mm-hmm. So rock and roll would be my go-to genre, but also I got to give a special shout out to Taylor Swift. Who, who my, doesn't? Who, who my daughter got me into. Uh, my daughter went to one of the uh, eras to her con- in, in mm-hmm. Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, religious experience. No doubt. View, and I just, I think Taylor Swift is unbelievably talented. We'll probably see you at the movie theater when the movie comes yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Do you meditate? Um, you know, Meditation, key thing, um, what meditation helps you with, it's part of cognitive behavioral therapy. What meditation teaches you is it's okay to let things go. And that's what I didn't understand. I tried to meditate forever and it just drove me insane. Um, I kept saying I'm stressed out because I can't find time to meditate. And then when I would meditate, I was like, okay, the idea is you're supposed to not think, oh, damn, I thought I screwed up. No, what meditation teaches you is just notice what's going on around you. Don't react to it, all right? If a thought enters your head, notice it, move on. So what I do now is when I'm walking or brushing my teeth or a different, I will take like a two or three minute period and go, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna notice. I'm gonna notice the sounds, I'm gonna notice the smells, I'm gonna notice the thoughts that come into my head and let them go. So in that sense, yes, I meditate, but I don't do the regular sort of 20-minute-a-day practice. Adam Smith, it's been a pleasure. Great. It's been an honor to talk to you. I appreciate the chance. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.